0: Chapter 44, Dinner with Hegel and Heisenberg and a Man Named Saul Night had descended upon Old Town Square when Klaus's Mercedes parked on the north side of it. With the long evening awaiting them, Herman and Klaus slowly exited the car, and Klaus told the driver that he could leave. Where'd your aide park that car you were telling me about, Herman asked Klaus, while glancing around the area. Klaus glanced as well, and he pointed to a small late model Skoda Popular up the road and said, that's the one. The Skodovka, Herman uttered, which is kind of like calling a Chevrolet a Chevy. Will it do, asked Klaus. It'll more than do, Herman answered. What about Riedel's car? Again, Klaus looked. He looked around the entire square, including down Jelezner Street across from it. But he shook his head and told Herman, I don't see it. Perhaps he hasn't gotten here yet. Then we better wait, Herman told him back. If he parks on the other side of the square, we'd never be able to follow him. Why couldn't we just cut across the square, Klaus argued. I'm guessing you've never followed someone before, Herman replied. The whole point is not to be noticed. Grudgingly, Klaus nodded, and the two stepped into the car, where they waited. They waited with Herman's mind on anything but the task in front of him. He was wishing he were anywhere but where he was about to go. Klaus, too, seemed elsewhere. He looked as if he had moved even further away though this changed to a look of both surprise and ambivalence when he saw a pair of senior Nazi officers walking across the square toward Gertrude's building. Maybe we could just sit here until the party ends, Klaus muttered. You knew there would be Nazis here, commented Hermann. I didn't know that they would be here, Klaus commented back while nodding toward the officers. Usually Colonel Riedel is the highest-ranking officer there. Did you tell Gertrude you were coming, questioned Herman? No, Klaus asserted. But you didn't tell her that you weren't coming either, Herman added. Am I right? Klaus nodded, which led Herman to ask, Do you often miss her parties? I haven't missed one yet, Klaus admitted. At least the ones I've been invited to. So she could say something, Herman contended, and this can make Riedel suspicious, which is the last thing we want. Klaus had no reply to this, and the two returned to waiting for Colonel Riedel's Mercedes to arrive. When it finally did, it parked a short distance away on Pazhyska Street, and the two then waited for the colonel to lumber his way across the square and up Zelesna before following him. You'll likely be very uncomfortable tonight, Klaus told Herman as they began crossing the ancient cobblestones in the cooling air, with Klaus looking far more uncomfortable than what Herman felt. You're not telling me anything I don't know, Herman maintained with a shake of his head. Just keep as invisible as you can and as quiet as you can, Klaus maintained back. We'll leave at the earliest possible moment. Herman nodded and they reached Gertrude's home. Outside there stood a large security detail, so it took a while before the two can make their way through it and enter the building. But not long after that they were at the woman's door, which Kamcha answered while smiling at Klaus. Though this faded when she noticed Hermann, she looked as if she weren't sure what to think, and she gaped at him silently, which was a state quite uncommon for her. "'Who—who's this?' she eventually mumbled. Klaus told her, and indicated that Gertrude had invited him as well. With an awkward nod, Kampcha led the two inside, and she brought them into the large and crowded living room, where a handful of well-dressed women were cavorting with a dozen Nazi officers. Some of these were even more senior than the two Klaus saw crossing the square— One in particular shocked him. It shocked him so much that Herman could tell that he was desperately trying to come up with an excuse for leaving. Herman too felt something upon viewing the guests, but it wasn't shock. It was rage, and he felt this intensely. At first he wasn't sure what had brought this on, as he had seen plenty of Nazis at the palace and at other places around town since his return to Prague without feeling this. He thought that it might have been related to the anger that he had felt earlier when re-experiencing Anna's death, but he quickly realized that it was something else, the gaiety of the occasion, and how everyone was drinking in excess. While he knew from experience that men could be made to do atrocious things under order and in the midst of battle, here were people under no duress who were enjoying themselves in spite of all the misery they were causing, and this infuriated him. It wasn't long before Herman wasn't the only person there upset. Both the Nazis and their female companions had a strong reaction to Herman as soon as they noticed him, and they all fell silent as they glared at him. "'You people act as if you had never seen a Jew before,' Gertrude called out with a big smile." as she swept inside the room wearing an elegant black gown that she had bought earlier that day. It's all right, he's working with Captain Staub on an important case for the benefit of the Reich, and I invited them both. This placated most of the guests, though their conversation and frivolity were more muted than before, even if their drinking was not. But one guest wasn't placated at all, Colonel Riedel, who marched up to Klaus and loudly whispered, What do you think you're doing? Have you left your mind somewhere? Gertrude invited him, Klaus whispered back, even though he knew Riedel already knew this. So, Riedel uttered, have you not heard of the word no? It's she who has a hard time understanding it, noted Klaus. How do you plan on explaining his presence here, Riedel demanded. Like she said, Klaus timidly replied, he's helping us on an important case for the benefit of the Reich. Do you not see General DeLug standing just a few steps from you? The colonel quietly howled while nodding toward the man who had just become the head of what was known during the war as the protectorate of Bohemian Moravia. Do you really think he's going to believe such nonsense? That nonsense happens to be the truth, Klaus asserted as firmly as he could. If anyone presses me on the subject, I'll simply explain that Herman's a collaborator and that I cannot leave his side until the services he's providing us have been completed. And if they ask you in what respect he's providing these services, Riedel added, then what will you say? Klaus thought about this. He thought about it for a few moments before saying... Maybe, maybe I'll tell them that he's helping us track down some missing Jewish property. A treasure, perhaps. One that would greatly enrich the Reich if it were found. Riedel didn't exactly reply to this, but his face did become flush, and he scurried off. I shouldn't have said that, Klaus murmured to Herman while shaking his head, once Riedel was out of earshot. It's all right, Herman murmured back. I think a little fright is a lot better than any amount of suspicious. It just might cause him to do something rash tonight, and this would almost certainly help us. What are you two murmuring about? Gertrude asked, as she came between the men and took each of their arms. I was just now asking Herman a question, Klaus contended, while staring at General Deluge. And what was that? Gertrude asked next. Klaus answered by uttering, "'I was asking him how could someone be stupid enough to invite him and me "'to a dinner party attended by a man "'who is effectively the absolute ruler of both the country and all our fates?' "'And what did Hermann say?' Gertrude then asked. "'He had no more of an idea than I had,' Klaus answered. "'I'm only surprised not to see Reich Minister Frank here as well.' Just the mentioning of this man's name caused Gertrude to wince. But she overcame this and smiled, and she made her way toward General Delugue while telling Klaus, I'm going to advance your career tonight, dear. Just you watch. Klaus did this. He watched Gertrude stride up to the man as if they had been best friends since childhood. What am I going to do with her, Klaus muttered to Herman as he pointed at her. Herman didn't answer though much like the first time he met Gertrude, he felt a visceral dislike toward her. Despite this, he was even more fascinated by her than before. He couldn't keep his eyes off her, nor prevent himself from listening to all she and the general had to say. You certainly know how to make a scene, the general declared, with a sly grin on his long and narrow face. It's early, Gertrude declared back. The real scene will come later. I really should have you arrested for pulling this stunt, he remarked, or even shot. Then you'd miss dinner, she remarked back, and trust me, you'd regret it. They both chuckled at this, and Gertrude continued through the crowd. The party continued as well, and so did the drinking, which only got heavier, so everyone quickly forgot about Herman and became just as giddy as before. However, the coming of dinner forced them to be reminded of him once again, and they were all hesitant to sit anywhere near him. Gertrude had to place him at one end of the dining table next to Klaus, while she herself sat across from him. As Klaus had warned, and as he had expected long before this, Herman felt great discomfort sitting among the guests. Actually, he again felt rage, Just the thought of eating with these people made him sick to his stomach, to the extent that he couldn't imagine eating a thing. But this vanished when Comtcher served him a plate of her venison in a red wine sauce, as it was a dish that intoxicated him on both sight and smell. The sauce, Gertrude murmured after noticing him gazing at his food. It's made from the same wine you enjoyed last night. Herman responded by trying a small bite and he discovered that it was even better than what he had had at Ubileho Lava. Never had he tasted venison so tender and ungame-like. It was so good that it made him swoon a little. Also, for the first time since returning to Prague, he found his appetite, and he devoured everything in front of him. Like others there, he even had a second serving, during which he forgot all about the company he was keeping. There was only the food, and how it made him once more enjoy being alive. Though his discomfort returned as soon as he finished eating, the silence among the guests returned too. Almost everyone looked uncomfortable. The exception was Colonel Riedel, who looked as if he were somewhere else. Tiring of the silence, the middle-aged woman next to Gertrude glanced at the cause of it, before turning toward her and saying, Isn't it amazing how distinguishable Jews are? I mean, I swear I could spot one from blocks away, as easily as I could spot a rat. Now that wasn't very nice, commented Gertrude with a forced grin. Herman's a guest here, and he's obviously on our side, or he wouldn't be working with Klaus. Is that not true, darling? I wouldn't exactly say that he's on our side, Klaus replied. I can attest to that, Herman affirmed. Then what are you doing with them?" Gertrude asked, after taking a sip of the wine that everyone was enjoying other than Klaus. He's helping us sort out an investigation, Klaus explained, not only to Gertrude, but to everyone there. An investigation that only he could sort out, as a man who was once one of the best police detectives in the city. Even Protector Heitrich, General Deluge interjected, who was certainly no lover of Jews, had personal relationships with a number of them, which he maintained even as he was orchestrating their race's destruction. Is that so? Gertrude blurted out with surprise. More than once I had dinner with him and Paul Summer, the champion fencer, the general pointed out. Heydrich always believed that you could isolate certain exceptional Jews from the race as a whole. After all, even an individual rat can be exceptional. So it doesn't surprise me that Captain Stamm would want to make use of an exceptional Jewish police detective if it would further the ends of the Reich. I commend him, in fact, for both his ingenuity and boldness. And how's that case coming, dear Gertrude, asked Klaus. It's fast approaching its conclusion, Klaus answered. I'm hopeful it will be resolved presently. What about you, Hermann, Gertrude said after turning toward him. What about me, he said back. Why are you helping us, she inquired. Let's just say, he muttered, they made me a compelling offer. Don't you hate us, Gertrude exclaimed. What do you mean by us, he asked. Germans, of course, she told him. I don't hate all of you, he insisted. I don't hate Hegel or Schopenhauer or Kant. And I especially don't hate Eckhart. I admire all of them. Ah, Hegel, noted Gertrude. I've long admired him, too, and his dialectics. What a charming concept, that is. Isn't that a Marxist concept the woman next to Gertrude argued while rolling her eyes? You're thinking of dialectical materialism, my dear, Gertrude argued back, after putting her hand on the woman's wrist. Oh, the woman mumbled. Hegelian dialectics describe the development of things, Gertrude explained. You see, first you have a thesis, an instance of something. This party, for example. Countering this is an antithesis. Herman here stands as the antithesis to everything this party represents and the synthesis is the outcome of the thesis and antithesis reacting to one another. In our case, we are right now experiencing an actual synthesis in progress. How interesting, the woman next to Gertrude contended, with an expression that suggested she didn't find it interesting at all. But tell me, Herman, Gertrude went on, are there any living Germans you don't hate? There are some, Herman told her, while thinking of one in particular. Someone who was close to him in more ways than one. Someone who could infuriate and enrage him, but never for long. I can't hate them regardless of how much I want to hate them, he added. To be honest, I really don't believe that even the average German is bad. It's just that the loudest voices are the only ones heard. You know, Gertrude remarked, I bet if we turned off all the lights right now... We wouldn't even know you're Jewish. Involuntarily, Herman smiled, which confused Gertrude, who said, Did I say something funny? It's just that I used to wish the same thing, Herman replied. I wish that people could somehow not see my face and all its Semitic features and would only notice the man underneath it. I actually did everything I could to make this happen. Every choice I made in life, was to facilitate this and fit in with you, if not become one of you. You see, I didn't choose to be Jewish. I didn't even want to be Jewish, any more than I chose or wanted to be left-handed. But Jewish you are, Gertrude uttered. Jewish I am, Herman uttered back. And do you want to know what? I've stopped being ashamed of it and at how I look. I stopped the moment I stepped into Theresienstadt, the very moment itself. It was then that I was finally forced to accept what I am, and I've since discovered something more extraordinary. I actually like what I am. I'm even proud of it. Pride goeth before a fall spoke one of the Nazis from the other end of the table, causing laughter to erupt through the room. Once this had subsided, without looking at the man, Herman countered with his own quote from the Bible. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace wasn't given to me in vain. That line is from our Bible the Nazi insisted with anger all over his face, which was replicated on the faces of many others. Yes, Herman admitted while calmly ignoring the anger, but the man who wrote it was a Jew just like me. Again, the conversation fell silent, with everyone looking even more uncomfortable. A few people even made gestures that indicated that they were getting ready to leave, including General Deluge. Desperate to breathe life back into her party, Gertrude told the woman next to her, Klaus and Hermann are actually old friends. How interesting, the woman commented while gazing at Klaus with a look that combined surprise and suspicion. We were roommates in college, Klaus told everyone, before taking a sip from the glass of milk in front of him, for a short time. And then you found out he was Jewish, Gertrude asserted. No, Klaus asserted back. Then what happened between you two, she cried out. It's an old story, he grumbled one that's best forgotten. Last night, Herman, Gertrude went on, you mentioned a wife. Where is she? She passed away, Hermann murmured. I'm sorry, Gertrude murmured back. Did it happen at Theresienstadt? Slowly, Herman shook his head and he told her she wasn't even Jewish. She could have lived a life mostly unaffected by you and others like you. She suffered all she did, and she suffered a lot for my sins alone. Can we please change the subject, Klaus pleaded. To what, Gertrude asked. To you, perhaps, Hermann suggested. You know all about me, but I know almost nothing about you, other than that you are utterly charming. Well, you know what Heisenberg says, Gertrude replied with a grin. The more you know about one aspect of an object, the less you can know about all its other aspects. The same applies to people, I'm afraid. Besides, I'm actually quite uninteresting. I doubt that, Herman maintained with a shake of his head. I'm just your average brainless socialite living off my family's money, she maintained back. Herman responded by saying... I don't know too many brainless people who can not only articulate Hegelian dialectics and Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, but also make them understandable for the average person. I picked them up from a former lover, she insisted. He was a rather boring man, as you can imagine, but he did have his usefulnesses. She's being modest, Klaus interjected, and more than just a little. I have colleagues who are less knowledgeable about the war, and I can assure you that this didn't happen through osmosis. General DeLuge added to this by telling everyone, Her role in presiding over the Protectorate's National Socialist Women's League provides her with significant access. Even I've been surprised by the things she knows. You also pick up a lot when you travel as much as I do, Gertrude added. You travel with the war going on, Herman asked. I'm not easily frightened, Gertrude answered, with conviction Herman felt compelled to admire. And she knows everyone, noted the woman next to Gertrude. She was even on a first-name basis with Protector Hydrick. Didn't you have dinner with him just before that ill-fated trip of his? Hmm, Herman muttered while gazing at Gertrude as if a veil had just come off her face. With connections like that, I bet you could open lots of doors. This remark caused Klaus to glare at Herman, which Herman noticed right away. But he chose to ignore it, and he continued to gaze at Gertrude while Klaus seethed beside him. He was seething as much as he had on the day of their falling out. "'What dinner was this?' General Dulug? asked Gertrude. "'The dinner was actually well before his... his mishap,' Gertrude told a man with some defensiveness. "'And it wasn't a private dinner or anything of the kind. "'It was a state dinner in celebration of the visit of Grand Mufti Husseini. "'We were barely in the same room together. "'I think you were there, in fact.' "'Ah, yes,' he mumbled. "'Now I remember.' The conversation's sudden turn piqued the interest of Colonel Riedel, who turned to Herman and mentioned, being that you were in Theresienstadt, I guess you didn't hear what happened to our dear beloved protector, who governed your nation with such a gentle hand. It actually happened right before I left for Theresienstadt, Herman told him, with what he would only later recognize as a surprising lack of fear, which came from him not having much left to fear. I heard all about how he was killed in broad daylight, no less. On the road to Berlin, wasn't it? Everyone in Yosifov heard about it. And if I again can be honest, we all had smiles on our faces for days afterward. But then, then we heard what you did to Liditza in response to his killing. A little town that no one will miss, the colonel remarked. Along with its people... I can barely recall watching it all burn. These words and the grin on the colonel's face made Gertrude squirm in her seat, which Herman noted in wonder. They certainly learned their lesson, didn't they, she growled. Gertrude was now looking even more uncomfortable than Klaus, and Klaus must have noticed this and taken it as a sign to leave. He left quickly with Herman in tow, and with Gertrude leading the two toward the door and through it. Good night, darling, she whispered to Klaus in the doorway before hurriedly kissing him, which caused Herman to turn from the two and cross his arms. Good night, Klaus whispered back. Please don't keep Colonel Riedel up too late. He's got a lot to do. He's not the only one, she replied. Quickly, Gertrude closed the door, and Klaus angrily started down the steps. Followed by Herman. Don't think I didn't catch that insinuation you made in there, Klaus snarled, while looking as if he were fighting the urge to shoot Herman right there and then. He was shaking with rage. It wasn't an insinuation, Herman contended. It was only an observation. It was nonsense, Klaus snapped. You must investigate a crime objectively, Herman snapped back. I'm not accusing her of anything or even calling her a suspect. I was simply making an observation. I would suggest that you leave her out of your observations, Klaus told him as he rushed through the courtyard. That is, if you want to keep making them.